0: And welcome back to Shouts of Grace. This is Pastor Keith Radke. And on today's broadcast, we would like to share with you the first of two special episodes to celebrate Holy Week, which includes Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Pastor Steve Pearson recently gave a message from John 11 discussing the story of Lazarus' resurrection from the dead, and we hope it blesses you. So let's go to So You Say You Believe from John 11 with Pastor Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church. Last week, Pastor Keith finished up um, talking about this confrontation that we've been looking at over the past probably two months of this, um, just this turmoil that was kind of um, you know, festering between the religious people and Jesus. There was this contention. There was this 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 volcano that kind of kept mounting up in these minor explosions, And and every time we see Jesus confront these guys, Jesus was trying to tell them who he was. He was trying to make it clear. He was trying to draw them in by letting them know that the God of all creation had come, and they weren't just they weren't accepting it, no, no matter what he said, no matter what he did, you know, until he was plain with them. And then they still said, well, just be plain with us and tell us who you are. He's like, man, I already told you. I've told you and told you. You don't want to believe. And so Keith kind of wrapped up what John uh, describes in this confrontation, and he'll pick it up later um, at, the, at the, um, the first part of next year when we talk about the cross and the crucifixion. But what I want to do is he cracked the seal of John chapter 11 last week and so what I want to do is kind of put this vehicle in reverse and revisit something that Keith did not have time um, to really cover in depth last week, and that's the first six verses, um, or the first 16 verses, really, of John chapter 11, and it fits better with the narrative of what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and so you guys kind of get the background of what we're, what we're dealing with here. Jesus has three very close friends. Mary, Martha and their brother and their brother, brother, that too. <laughs> their brother Lazarus, right? And he always every time he goes to Bethany, that's where he hangs out. And when these sisters realize that their brother is sick, but not just any sickness. This is a sickness that has severity which ends really in death. And when they see how severe it is, urgency sets into them and they send message to Jesus who's kind of two days journey away from Bethany, saying, hey, our brother's sick, please come back. Verses four through six, Jesus responds in a very bizarre way. When he hears that that, that his good friend Lazarus is sick, the messenger says he's ill, Jesus responds in verse four, and he says, this illness doesn't end with the death of Lazarus, But it's actually designed to give God the glory. And then in verse five, he says something weird. He says that it says that Jesus loved these people, and here's how he demonstrated this love. In verse six, he stayed away for two days. Now, guys, this is bizarre. If if you get a phone call, you're on vacation, and you say, "Hey, your 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 brother's ill to the point of death," your friends, what are you going to say? I'm right there. You're going to hop on a plane, you're going to hop in the fastest car you can, and you are going to bolt to the situation because there's urgency there, right? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus stays for two more days. He anchors his ship out at sea for two more days when he finds out one of his best friends is sick. That sounds kind of messed up, doesn't it? If you had a kid, if you had a a, a child, and let's say they came in, and, and you're sitting there watching the, the football game, and the child's arm is backwards, and there's a bone like sticking out of his skin, and, and he's like, Dad, my arm's broke. And you were to say to him, Wow, that looks bad, son. Why don't you sit over there? This game's in the first quarter. It'll be over in about three hours, and I'll take you to the doctor. You would be messed up. <laughs> you would be a messed up parent, right? You would either, number one, not realize the urgency of your broken arm, your kid's broken arm sticking out of his skin, or number two, you would just be a bad parent that cared more about watching, you know, the Raiders lose another game oh. than, uh, than your own kid. You're right there. What am I supposed to do, man? <laughs> <laughs> Folks, one, one of three realities is unfolding here. The first possibility is that Jesus has an insensitive heart. The second possibility is Jesus just doesn't understand the severity of the situation. Or the third possibility is what Jesus views as urgent and what people view as urgent is very different. And I'm going to let you pick which one you think it is. You guys, we typically will judge matters of urgency based on their environmental impact in our lives. Right, Me- meaning we will look at something and we will deem it as being urgent if it if it if it crosses a line and it starts to to adversely affect the flow or the peace that's in our life. Right, when if everything is going good, this is weird. If everything is going good in our lives, right, and, and something happens just dis- that disrupts that, that becomes an urgent issue for us. And listen. When it impacts our environment in a, in a, in a severe way, that urgency kind of kicks up a notch. Let me give you an example, a practical example. Let's take two people. Let's say you have, you have Jim and Lucy, right? Jim and Lucy both lose their job, okay? Jim is a single person who has no cares in life. He doesn't have to care for anybody. And Jim was given a six-month severance pay, okay? Lucy is a single mom. And Lucy has one child in daycare, and she has another that's in high school, and Lucy wasn't given any severance pay. Okay, both lost their job. Both need another job. Which one is more urgent? Do you understand? In other words, for Jim, it wasn't a big deal. It was an urgency. But for Lucy, it's massive because it shook her world. That situation rocked her world. And you guys, any situation in our lives can fall into that category, and here is the problem. You guys, we view God's delays as the enemy of urgency. Meaning this, when something happens in our world, when something shakes us, when something, you know, kind of gets our attention and we're like, "God, what are we going to do? What are you going to do?" Okay, that becomes an urgent issue for us. And when God doesn't respond, we view that lack of response as an enemy to the urgency, "Don't you care? Don't you care what I'm going through?" Don't you see what's happening? Lazarus, you guys, was ill. He was sick and it was serious and it was an urgent situation and it was more urgent to those who stood by who, who, could have lo- who would have been hurt at the loss of his life, his sisters. So they sent urgently to Jesus. But listen, to the author of life, it wasn't that urgent. He docked his ship for two more days because he holds life. Because he holds the situation. So when they're like, he's going to die, you got to come. Jesus is like, yeah, we're good. (laughs) I got this. Jesus doesn't respond to the same things that man responds to. He doesn't have that same urgency because he's outside of time and he sees everything and every day that a person has lived as if it were complete. So he stays two more days. You guys, brothers and sisters, we kick and scream at this Christian reality. That God delays at our request. That God would, would hold on when we're going through pain. When God would hold on when, when we see injustice. God, don't you see this? This man beats his wife every day. Threatens his kids every day. This guy steals from his employer every day. This person is abusive every day. And we look at those things As we cry out to God and God's delaying, we're like, God, what are you doing? Don't you care about this? But what makes it even more difficult is verse 15. We're going to read this in a second. Verse 15 of John chapter 11 says that his delay was intentional. His delay was intentional and it was for their sake so that they would come to belief. Now, I don't understand that on the surface. I'm going to be honest with you. God purposefully allowed, Jesus said, I have purposefully allowed this into your life for your sake, for your good to draw you to a place of deeper belief. And when this impacts your life in a a severe manner, though it's urgent to you, listen, my lack of response or my delay, it's not that I don't care. You guys, our desire for relief from a certain situation is always motivated by the uncomfortability that that situation is having on our life. That's what motivates our cry for relief. But check this out God's delay in bringing relief is motivated by his love and desire to bring you to a deeper faith and belief in him. Always. I don't understand it, but I live it, and you live it. How are you guys doing with that statement this morning when he says, for your sake? For your sake. I put you in this. You guys, I shared this, I think, uh, a month ago or so, for those of you that weren't here. First Kings chapter 20. It's a mind-blowing section of scripture. In First Kings chapter 20, there, 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 there's a king of Syria who threatens Israel, and he calls out to the king of Israel, and to whose name is Ahab, he says, "Ahab, I'm coming down there. And when I come down, I'm coming and I'm going to take your gold, and I'm going to take your silver. I'm going to take your wives and I'm going to take your strongest kids. They're all mine. And then when I'm done with that, I'm going to go into your homes and anything that I want, and anything I touch, I'm taken. And Ahab basically looks at him and he says, no. And he responds, the king of Syria responds and says, oh, good. Then let the gods do to me and more so. If by tomorrow at this time, there isn't so much as a handful of dust that my soldiers can pick up, you're dead. At which point Ahab writes a letter back and he says, let not him who who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. Bring your bad self down here. And so what happens? The Syrian king goes down and Israel wipes them out. And in their retreat, one of the Syrian soldiers goes up to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, and he says, hey, I know why we lost. We lost because their God is the God of the hilltops. We fought them on the hilltops. If we attack them in the valley, they're sure to lose. So what does God do? God purposefully, intentionally takes his people and he puts them in a valley and he tells their enemy, bring it. Bring it. And what happens? The enemy comes they attack God's people in the valley. And listen, God wipes out 127,000 Syrians, 100,000 by the soldier, and 27,000 more when they were in retreat and a wall fell on them. And God sent a message to them and to us. I am also the God of the valleys. I am not just the God of the hilltops. I am not just the God when everything is going fine in your life. I work in the valley. And woe to that enemy that thinks they could put my people in the valley and attack them and win. He placed them there intentionally. That's mind-blowing to me. You mean you would put me in this place on purpose, God, and leave me there? (laughs) Yeah, because your cry for relief has nothing to do with the end goal being your holiness. It's your comfortability that you want. But my goal is to let you suffer and kick because I will defend you there and I will pull you out and you will believe greater than when you first went into that valley. That is how God deals with this. Before we read this, there's one last thing about this section of Scripture. It's really heaven's perspective that's kind of imprinted on these first 16 verses. The first is what man sees as urgent, Jesus stays two more days. That's the first. But the second is what man sees as death, Jesus sees as sleep, right? What man sees as, oh my gosh, he's dead, Jesus says, no, he's just sleeping. Why is that important, you guys? I want you to hold on to the different perspectives here. I want you to hold on to the different perspectives because at the end of these 27 verses, you guys, it, it, it is, you, you are going to see a change in perspective of these two women and next week you are going to see an example of one of the greatest illustrations of worship anywhere in the Bible. The conclusion of today will be the change of two disciples' perspective about who Christ is. And what he does. Let's let's read John chapter 11. Look at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus was already <clears throat> had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, yeah, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. When she had said that she went and she called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews saw... When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to Jesus, to where Jesus was, she saw him, she fell on his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have also kept this man from dying? Oh, hold on, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, By this time, there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things... He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You guys, I want to point out something here to kind of give a little bit of color as we begin this. In verse 21 and verse 32, Mary and Martha say the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Two precious saints, two family members were drinking from the same cup of hopelessness. The same cup, you guys. These are two amazing saints, you guys, that really kind of fell into this atmosphere of, of, of hopelessness. And no doubt they fed off of one another. Right, you and I have done this. It's like it's like one gave gave the same cup that had sickness to the other and they both drank it because they both said the same thing. We've been there, right? We've been in our homes or with our families or with close friends where we've had a perception of a certain something, and then we gave them that cup to drink. And then they drank it, and before long, they were drinking the same illness that we had, right? How many of you guys have ever realized that in your lives? None of you? That's great. I'm the only one, me and my wife. <laughs> It's true. The people that are closest to us take up the offense of each other. Now, that can be a good thing, and listen, that can be a dangerous thing. It can be a dangerous thing because if I'm not seeing things correctly as a husband and I give that cup to my wife to drink, she will get sick with the same sickness that I have. And that hopelessness will set in. I want to highlight what Martha did here it was wise. You guys, in verse 20, it says that she went from her place where she was at to meet Jesus. And Jesus started sharing some things with her that would change her mind. And then what did she do? She went back and got who? Her sister. The ones where they were kind of of hanging together. Oh, if he would have been here. I could just hear them now. Sitting there, you know, weeping. And and I'm not blaming them. I'm not saying we wouldn't do the same thing. Oh, Martha, if he would have been here, he would have never died. I know that. He would have never died. Why wasn't he here? He wasn't here. I don't know why he wasn't here. And they're feeding off of one another. But one of them breaks away and goes sees Jesus. And then brings the other one. And guys, I'll tell you this. Whenever you have a hopeless situation, the one who breaks away to go get Christ and bring him into the situation is the wise one. Because that's what she did. Let's stop listening to each other. Let's go get the maker and let's bring him in on this. And he will change the way both of them see things. At the height of their despair, she went. And God changed the way she would see Jesus. When a person's perspective is changed, what always comes out, when their perspective of God is changed, what always comes out on the other side is an abandonment. An abandonment to everything that you view as valuable in your life for the purpose and opportunity of bowing down at the feet of the king. That's always what's on the other side. And that was what will be on the other side of these women's lives. So now, I want you to fasten your seatbelt. And as, as the, the, the Southwest stewards say, fasten your seatbelt low and tight around your waist like you wear a pair of 70s jeans, right? <laughs> I heard that. That was actually, that was funny when they told me that. Because Jesus now is going to drop a, a 500 megaton bomb on Mary and Martha's house of hopelessness by the things that he says. Jesus says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Mary or Martha says, I know that. I know he's going to rise again, but that's not until the last day, the day of the resurrection. This sister's got her theology straight, right? That's that's out there, but that doesn't help me now. That, That doesn't deal with the pain I'm feeling now. And so what Jesus says and what he does next, you guys, essentially drives hopelessness into extinction what he says to them and i don't care what situation you're in when you hear these words whatever hopelessness you might have whether it's personal hopelessness whether it's corporate hopelessness whether it's hopelessness in your marriage in your job in relationships listen whatever it is if you listen to the words he says next and you let them sink in it will drive that hopelessness into extinction guaranteed he responds in verse 24 I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Essentially, Martha, I know that you're waiting for this hope. Right, this hope, hope that's going to conquer death. I know you're waiting, waiting for it to be revealed theologically on this, on this event called the resurrection on the last day. But hey, listen, the wait is over. He's going to change her perception, her theology. The wait is over. You guys, what he's announcing is the resurrection is not just a reality that resides on some celestial calendar of events that takes place in the future. Jesus is saying the resurrection is a person. And he's the person. He's the resurrection, and he's the life, and what she is ultimately waiting for, in the end time when everything concludes, Jesus is saying, "I'm standing before you now, and the power that you're looking for to raise your brother in, in the future is not an event, it's a person, and I'm here, and I'm here, and I've got life in me." So you could just picture Martha's like her theology is like, "Whoa, the hope that God gives us for life. It's not just to be experienced in the end. It's to be experienced right now. That's why, listen, if a person is outside of Christ, if a person does not know Jesus, it's not that that person can't live a happy life. You could live a happy life if you don't know God. You can go and get married to a beautiful woman. You could have beautiful kids. You could have money. You could take vacations. You could live your whole life for you know, and save for the last 30 years, and, and you could do great, but you don't have life is what the Bible says, because the life that you need is in Christ. The life is not in the happiness of the things that you possess. It's not in what you've created in the personal culture you've created around yourself. That's not life. Life is in Christ. And so what he's saying is, listen, the life that raises a person from the dead is right in front of you.
1: Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace Radio, practical conversations from God's Word hosted by Pastor Steve Pearson and Pastor Keith Radke. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If today's conversation encouraged you in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at ShoutsOfGraceRadio.com. That's ShoutsOfGraceRadio.com. At ShoutsOfGraceRadio.com, you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastors Steve and Keith. Shouts of Grace Radio is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church located in Eagle Mountain, Utah. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us at Shouts of Grace Radio, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ.